You're listening to High Pitch, the American Health Information Management Association podcast produced weekly for HEMA's members and healthcare professionals everywhere. Listen in as we explore the hot topics and news items affecting the industry and you. Hello and welcome to the HEMA High Pitch podcast. Today, our guest is Ms. Lauren Ripplinger, HEMA's Vice President of Policy and Government Affairs. Lauren is responsible for AHIMA's advocacy before Congress and various federal agencies. With nearly two decades of healthcare policy experience, she previously worked on Capitol Hill, where she worked in a congressional office, serving as chief of staff, among other positions. With this experience in mind, we've asked Lauren to speak with us about information blocking, a topic that's become more prominent in light of recent developments. Can you bring us up to speed, Lauren? So on Monday, the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT released their final rule related to information blocking. As many of you know, this was a rule that was proposed by the agency back in February of 2019. AHIMA provided comments on that proposed rule, and we saw that final release of that rule come out um, this past Monday. So what is AHIMA's initial reaction to the rule? Great question. You know, we're pleased that the rule has come out. This is something that we've long awaited for. To some extent, we are a little disappointed that the rule was not finalized is what we refer to as an interim final rule. Um, The purpose of an interim final rule is that it allows the agency to still finalize it and allow people to kind of start moving towards preparing for compliance and enforcement. But it gives that agency just a little bit of extra flexibility to make some changes um, based on feedback from stakeholders that are covered under the rules. So we're somewhat disappointed, but, you know, at the same time, we think that this rule is crucial to enhancing patient access to their health information, and we're happy to have an opportunity to begin digging through specifics of the rule. And what were some of AHIMA's concerns when the rule was initially proposed? AHIMA had a number of different kind of high-level concerns when the rule, the rule was originally proposed. So I'll kind of walk through a couple of those. First and foremost, one of the concerns we had was around the definition of electronic health information and what needed to be exchanged in order to be in compliance with the information blocking rule and avoid penalties associated under it. Um, We were concerned that the definition was extremely broad and it made, um, from an HIM perspective, really difficult in order to figure out what, what was the information that necessarily needed to be included in that definition. So that was one of the questions we, we posed in our comments to ONC at the beginning. Another concern that we had was related to the privacy and security of what we refer to as third-party applications. This has been a longstanding concern. We've shared this concern with many other stakeholders in the field, and that is, you know, consumers have an expectation of privacy that they fully understand to, to you know, under HIPAA right, when it concerns healthcare information. We know how that data is going to be protected in the event that there's a breach or something else happens, that information is shared in a way that it shouldn't be shared. Um, People understand what the rules of the road are. The concern was under this rule is that there's this um, focus on, you know, using uh, what we refer to as third uh, application programming interfaces or APIs to allow consumers to push their health data to third-party apps. Um, And there's a number of different third-party apps out there. Again, you know, we strongly believe in consumer access to their data and control over that data. However, the concern that we raised was the notion that once that data leaves that HIPAA space, that data is treated differently. Um, It doesn't necessarily have the breach requirements that that are contained in HIPAA. 
that information isn't necessarily um, protected from being used for marketing purposes. So all the rules that we have come to expect under HIPAA don't necessarily apply once that data leaves the space. And so we really raise the concern of what we need to have stronger protections around that data once it leaves the HIPAA-controlled space, but also consumers need to know that that data is going to be treated differently. And so there's a huge education piece there as well. We want consumers to understand that once their sensitive health information leaves that HIPAA environment, that their data is no longer protected in the same way. So there's a huge educational piece associated with that. So that was a concern we also raised with ONC um, when the rule was originally proposed. Um, And of course, you know, we were concerned about the implementation date as well um, associated with the rule, just making sure that stakeholders, including HIM, had enough time to make sure that they were in compliance as to avoid any penalties associated under the rule. So those were some of our main concerns. And do you think uh, some of these concerns were addressed in the final rule? You know, certainly we're still trying to dig through the specifics of the rule. Um, so some of that, you know, will be, as we review it very closely, we'll, we'll come to some greater understanding. However, I will say, you know, what two things we're really pleased about is, first of all, the definition of electronic health information. So under the final rule, ONC has said for the first two years under the rule, actors that fall under the rule will be required to exchange what we refer to as USCDI or the U.S. Core for Data Interoperability. And this is a set of um, a number of different data elements that, you know, are an outgrowth of the common clinical data set um, that must be shared, right? And we think that most folks are probably already exchanging a lot of this data, So I think it'll be a little bit easier and people will have a clear understanding of what the rules of the road are. After those two years, what the final rule says is that ONC will require um, the exchange of electronic health information defined as um, electronic PHI as defined under HIPAA to the extent that it's included in the designated record set. And again, I think this is a place where HIM can really play a critical role because so many of our members serve as privacy officers, so they have an understanding of what the designated record set is. They're comfortable with the definition of EPHI. And so I think this is where HIM can really help their facility and help their health IT folks to understand what needs to be included in that definition to make sure they're exchanging it as to avoid any penalties under the law. The other thing I would say that we're definitely pleased about is that the final rule says that the information blocking rule provisions will go into effect six months from the effective date, right? So the effective date will most likely be next week when the rule is actually published in the Federal Register. But it's important to keep in mind that under the Cures Act, Congress said even though ONC defines what is not considered information blocking, It's the Office of the Inspector General within HHS that actually determines what the enforcement penalties look like. And that portion of rulemaking has not even occurred yet. So we'll have this kind of six months to ensure folks are in compliance. 
and people will have to comply, but the enforcement penalties don't necessarily kick in. So I think that, you know, allows us this flexibility for members to begin to prepare, make sure they're ready, but not necessarily to be able to avoid some of those penalties until the Office of the Inspector General finalizes that rule. So I think, you know, at first glance, those are two things that we, we feel like ONC heard a lot of stakeholder concerns and moved in the right direction. What will some of the proposed changes mean for privacy and security officers since many of the changes impact release of information? No, I think what's going to change is that it'll make the role of privacy and security officers all that more important um, for really two reasons. Again, you know, this goes back to the definition of EHI, um, particularly, you know, after two years when we went that that definition changes to electronic protected health information. Again, I think Privacy officers have the expertise to know and understand what's in that designated record set, um, how EPHI is defined, and what they need to do to assure compliance with the rule. I think also, in addition to that, you know, certainly there are some privacy provisions that um, ONC has proposed as part of the final rule to help assure and give consumers better assurance as well as clinicians and HIM professionals and others um, that the third-party applications, you know, have a certain um, requirements or attestations that they must adhere to um, to confirm that they are keeping this data private and secure. And we're looking into those details um, to make sure that, you know, they are robust enough to make sure that the, the data is truly being protected to the extent that the agency has the authority to do so. Certainly, there's, you know, the, there's a later conversation with Congress in terms of are there policy levers that Congress needs to pull at the legislative level to create more robust protections for consumers. But all that to say, I think, you know, privacy and security officers are going to play a really critical role in educating consumers about these third-party applications, particularly the extent to which a third-party app may pose a security risk to the patient or the facility, um, and also along privacy lines, right? Again, educating the consumer about potential privacy concerns related to that app. So I think they'll play a really crucial role in that um, helping patients navigate this new terrain. I have a question from one of our journal editors. Uh, what does the requirement about APIs and HL7 fire standards mean for providers? You know, we are still looking into a lot of the specifics, again, of and the nuances of the proposed rule, particularly with the APIs and um, HL7 fire standard. You know, what I will say is that we do agree with ONC that APIs have the capability, um, particularly using the fire standard as flexible as it is, to really revolutionize um, the way we access, exchange, and use data within healthcare. So we agree with the agency that it holds tremendous promise. Um, but again, you know, we're trying to dig through the details of the final rule. And what is HIM's role in making sure their facility will be in compliance with the rule? So I think HIM's greatest value in this conversation is the fact that they understand operationally where the data travels and where it needs to be. I also think because of their in, it focus on the accuracy and integrity of that health data, that provides tremendous value to these conversations. And so along those lines, I think HIM's role in all of this is to educate particularly their health IT folks and their vendors 
about what needs to occur in order to be in compliance with this rule as to avoid any penalties under the law. So Lauren, in closing, uh, what overarching message does AHIMA want to send out about the rules and information blocking? I think a couple things. I think, you know, please, for, for our members, I encourage them to stay tuned to, you know, we're going to be providing a lot of educational opportunities in the coming months for members to get smart about this rule. Um, but beyond that, we encourage you to start these conversations sooner rather than later. Start them with your C-suite. Start these conversations with your health IT department because the compliance date is going to come really quickly. And we want to make sure that folks are being prepared. And again, I, I think that HIM can provide a tremendous value to these conversations and expertise. And so, you know, watch for things developing in AHIMA's e-alert as we continue to roll things out to the membership and, you know, again, start those conversations sooner rather than later with your team within your facility. Once again, our guest was AHIMA Vice President of Policy and Government Affairs, Laura Ripplinger. She was talking with us about information blocking and the recent release of the rules. Thank you for speaking with us, Lauren. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to High Pitch, the AHIMA podcast, produced by the American Health Information Management Association. Please subscribe or visit us at ahima.org slash pod for updates on future shows. Thank you for listening.